0: So maybe you can start telling me a little bit of about what you do in Wet Ink and how you got involved in Wet Ink and how you met with all of those people.
1: Okay, sure. Um, well, Wet Ink is a new music ensemble, and I'm the managing director, and I sing, and I'm a composer member. And I got involved with Wet Ink through Columbia, where I just finished my doctorate. I came into Columbia the same year as Alex Minchak, who was is now the only remaining founding member of the group and what ink was going through something of a transition the first two or three years I was at Columbia that's like 2004 to 6 so within the first year I think a couple people left and Eric Wubbles and Jeff Snyder came on and then shortly after that they asked me to come on and it's stabilized since then
0: do you think you'll just be in this group forever or
1: um i mean you know i i don't know i have no idea what's going to happen we're all in variously transitional stages of life. I just got my doctorate and um, Alex also did and he just had a baby and, and actually Eric just graduated. So I think life changes and logistical complications are ahead but I think luckily that's kind of coincided with Wet Ink really feeling more solid with us really reaching a good place of kind of mutual responsibility and, and trust. And like I said, getting a little bit more attention and support. So I do think what ink will continue and I hope it continues for a really long time. And I hope that I'm always involved somehow, I guess I can see who knows. I mean, things will happen. Um, I mean, I don't imagine that I'll have like a 30 year singing career. I mean, who knows though, you know, and, um, and yeah, maybe I won't be able to be like a full-time manager in a, Mostly unpaid position, you know. At some point, if I get hopefully some other job someday, um,
0: are you planning on getting another another job one well, day? Well, I am or? looking.
1: I mean, I would like. Right now, I still feel like I would like to be teaching in a university and composing also, and still performing. But I would I would like to be in academia.
0: Do you like academia?
1: I do. I mean, it's got a lot of problems. It's like a horrible place in a lot of ways, but I feel like it's also...
0: See, the first thing that pops into my head is what you just said. Sure, but the
1: and thing then, is that you And then, you then the think butt everything... is very small
0: compared to yeah. that. Well, them. I've
1: always... I mean, my parents are both academics, and I just...
0: Do they expect that? For, so it's like a don't cultural ex- family thing? Well,
1: kind... Just, I mean, a little bit. Like, my dad's a philosopher, and just, just the idea of... Like, I like the library, and I just like... I still like taking classes and I like teaching. I mean there's things about it that and I and you know it's it is flexible like your lifestyle is flexible. Um when I say it's a horrible place I just mean, you know, like anywhere else there's just you have to deal with incompetence and bureaucracy and personalities and that kind of thing, but I think it's also really special and I think it's I like the idea of that career for a composer. For me it's not like well the only way I can make a living is teaching. It was kind of like I would love to be a part of a department actually and um teach some class that i make up or you know perform in a faculty recital or something that that sounds like a great way to make a living in addition to being a composer and performer rather than i mean if i didn't do that i would have to have some other job and whatever it was i mean i don't even know what that would be other other way to make exactly a living, you know? i don't I, but i
0: you know i think a lot of people approach it is i have to teach because if i don't i would have some other job and i don't even know what that would be sure that's not true, i not but... i not i love to teach and not only that I don't know what my other okay, option right. would I think be. I'm in yeah. category
1: b there then so yeah like I do like teaching I do like academia I do like academics a lot of them and I have no idea what the hell else I would be doing yeah, to make you, th- a living.
0: you think uh, you think it's a little bit of a bubble
1: yeah but you know being a composer is a bubble you know I mean I sit in my pajamas until noon and like think about tuning just Intervals with a violin. I mean, it's
0: yeah, but but you know, at some point that turns into a performance, which hopefully you know, people outside of that bubble well, make their way are into. Are they
1: going to? I mean, who's at those performances? Sometimes it's people in the bubble who you know are coming out to see a, a lot show. of
0: time. Well, I mean, let's talk about that in the New York scene. Then, mm-hmm. when I was in New York, I always go to a concert, and it would be like the same thirty people, mm-hmm. forty people, even to the point where I would notice when you know, lines were drawn sometimes where Mm -hmm. I noticed like there wouldn't be somebody at a wedding concert, but they would, but I mean, maybe in your head you do, or at least in my, in Mm -hmm. my head, I do. I'm not even uh, living here anymore. Yeah. I just wonder if academia promotes that type of culture.
1: I don't think so because the, I mean, the bubble in New York is made up a lot of, of, it's not necessarily academics. It's just composers. I mean, that's a very kind of niche kind of field. Um, Well, academia, it it definitely does, um, you know, when you're in a school, you associate with people in that school and you feel like you're part of a group. But I don't think that that's, um, I mean, that's kind of a consequence. I mean, it just really goes hand in hand. That's what it means to be at a school. So, you know, I'm not at Columbia anymore. So I'm trying to deal with this new feeling of if I am going to a concert, am I pledging allegiance somehow as like a freelancer now, or if I'm not going, am I making a statement, which I never really intend to do. But I don't know. I mean, I think maybe because New York is so diverse, and there's so much going on all the time, and we can afford to take this already very tiny slice of the population of the world who cares about new music and split it up into all these different factions within one city, you do tend to just sort of drop off of the radar of certain aspects of new music and only go to concerts that involve certain kinds of composers or something oh yeah like i
0: mean definitely i mean i'm not saying by any stretch that in your head you're like man fuck that guy right i'm not like, yeah, going to right. his concert mm-hmm. yeah I it, mean, I, but I, it's just yeah. it's, it's just like there's so much going on i have to make a choice of sure, what and, i have to I do like and i'm gonna yeah. do things that there's are closer to I my stuff to, go
1: to like a couple like i did you go to that show brian senti's show at um galapagos a couple of weeks ago
0: i didn't go to i didn't i meant I didn't, to go I and i didn't go, I to didn't go to, but
1: there was all this i keep i would like to be more broad in my in what i go to see but yeah. how
0: often do you go to a concert in in new york and you're like we'll see what happens you know well, it's I like did, oh more or less yeah. you know what newspeak is going to do right you know? that's true
1: i mean i i would like to actually do that more i would like to go to shows where i don't know what to expect and there's a few that i could have gone to in the last week or two and it just didn't work out um It also just depends. I mean, sometimes, you know, I I was away a lot of the summer and I think this fall I've been kind of insular just because I kind of needed some time to discompose and kind of be back in the neighborhood. So I haven't been going to as much stuff as I was, say, last spring. But um, yeah, I like to go to events that seem like they're going to be interesting if I can, even if they're not even in the kind of new music realm.
0: But you missed Senti's thing. I did. To, it was to, to, really far yeah, away, Galapagos. Actually, really I'm rainy. here to talk. He told me to talk oh, to you about shit. that. Well, yeah, that yeah. was the day
1: I went to see Peter at SEM, so I was in Brooklyn. But then I had like a few hours. To kill. This is
0: not. You don't have to. And then yeah, I went to Occupy
1: joke. Wall Street, and I was like, "I'm going to solidarity." But it was like freezing rain, and I was like too shy to talk to anyone. And I was like, "I'm just going to go home." So and you didn't go either.
0: Well, I didn't. I didn't go either. But and you went to school uh, with him. I did go to school with him, and also Galapagos sucks. Yeah, I, I hate Galapagos. that venue. What is that? Why it is set? Actually, up...
1: I don't hate Galapagos. I think it's, it would be appropriate for some things, but sometimes you're just there and like you're not in the mood to like be in the bordello.
0: But yeah, no, I walked in and I was like, "Uh oh!" I accidentally went to a strip club, right? You know, is maybe this is like you know, is this Galapagos <laughs> or like where you know, what, where am I? And then yeah. I'm like, "Oh no, this is this is the venue," right?
1: Um, but yeah, Wedding did a show at Galapagos actually once and I had a piece on which kind of fit okay it was like it's about Clytemnestra and I had like thimbles on my fingers and I was doing this theatrical thing but then we did other stuff and it just was like yeah this is not really the right place for it um and then I did another show there once with Jeff Snyder as part of his electro country band Owen Lake and the Tragic Loves and that felt like okay sure this is all just kind of goofy and fun but for most things that aren't overtly dramatic new music or experimental country bands. I think Galapagos is kind of a strange fit.
0: I always feel like when I start hating on it, which clearly I do, I always feel like people think that I'm being stodgy or something. Like, oh, you need your nice little bubble so mm-hmm. people can like sit down and listen and be respectful. You don't want to do this kind of you know hybrid thing where it's like also a bar, but you can still appreciate the new music and are we being stodgy? Well, I'm a, are, I mean, are we... I kind of
1: like drinking a beer at a show sometimes. or I'm a fan of alternative venues. I just think and I, d- I don't hate Galapagos, actually. I just think you should be able to hear the music and you should be, like, comfortable.
0: You know, I hate to, it's like, I, f- I feel weird about bringing this up. And I actually, I, inter- I interviewed other women a long time ago before I had the mics where it's just transcripts. Uh-huh. And then I was talking about it with other people. And then they're like, oh, you have to talk about what it's like to be a woman in this scene.
1: You mean other women said this or?
0: No, 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 Another guy like this, you know, this Israeli guy who was just kind of com- complaining about these old school kind of machismo mm-hmm. kind of like Stockhausen generation composers. Yeah. I, I'm so clueless. That I didn't even know yeah. to bring it up till no, somebody no, till mean, someone called me out by not bringing well, it up. I don't
1: think you. I mean, I knew exactly what you were going to say when you said, I feel weird about bringing this up. Really? Of course. I don't think I don't know that I bl- that I think it's true that you have to bring it up. But um, well, I mean, I thought a lot about it and actually I wrote some of my dissertation about some gender theoretical issues that I'm finding more relevant to me as a composer and not just a person. But um I think most of the time it really doesn't matter at all, but I'm sort of feeling like sometimes even while it's not mattering, it's mattering on some level that I'm not aware of. I mean, just a you know, we were just talking about the Chicago job at the party that we were both at the other day someone was telling me that a good friend of mine had just told him, oh, well, you know, the Chicago job, they're just going to take a woman. Or or no, the Columbia job. Like, they're just looking for a woman, and then there's going to be another Columbia job opening up in a few years. That's a junior position, and that one's also going to just be a woman. And this person had been told that by another good friend of mine. So the thought of friends of mine who I feel zero discrimination from commiserating over this is just sort of a reminder that even while it doesn't matter, it's a presence and it's a factor in how I'm perceived and treated. I mean, what are you interested in hearing about? Like what my interactions are like? I mean,
0: I'm just cool about it as like of what it is to, I you know, I was, you know, having drinks I've been doing with uh, an old boys friend of mine, Uh. who's a woman. And then, I mean, it came up more organically than I had to bring this up, but she was just telling me about all these kind of things that, to her she was like oh it's you know it's basically another type of landscape that you have to maneuver through Yeah. and it can turn into a real mind fuck you know yeah
1: i mean i think um and there are I, a lot
0: more female oboists than there are composers and i
1: think it's a different scenario too, maybe in that case in terms of what it means maybe actually i don't know i shouldn't say that i don't know what it's like to be an oboist but um i was talking about this with some friends i remember in camargo because there were a lot of women there and there were Actually, there's one other composer, a, a man, but, um, trying to like describe it to people who don't know, it's just sort of imagine like every teacher you've ever had as a composer being a woman and all of your friends that you mostly hang out with being women. And every time you walk into a room or a seminar, you're like one of a couple of guys and just maybe acknowledging like, okay, that would be different. I'm not really sure why, but it kind of would maybe a helpful thought experiment, but, um, I don't know. I mean, I, my thoughts on this are changing. I think when I came to somewhere like Columbia, which for whatever reason—and I'm not blaming anybody—but it's it's very male dominated. Uh, it's a little less so now. I think there's like six maybe female composers when I that, got there. I mean, there, that, there, there that's were... a lot.
0: That's a lot in comparison to any other now institution. It's, it's
1: okay. Six out of twenty-five is okay. When I got there, I think there were two, and there's never been any on the faculty. So I don't know. Maybe the rumors are true. But um, and I was you know 22 and just felt. You're not sure what the attitudes towards you are, so I think uh, you tend to try to... You don't want to be singled out, or um, you don't want people to make assumptions, so it's it's sort of like a you have to kind of self-masculinize, maybe, in a way, which is kind of okay. I mean, it's not, I, I'm never, like, not myself when I'm with my friends or with other composers, but there are certain aspects of myself, maybe, that I'm not um, being, but that's true of every interaction in daily life, I suppose. But lately I've started to feel more like, um,
0: and it's also true for everybody. If you're, sure, just if you're the ra- on the subway if, if, yeah. or you're talking
1: to your mom or something, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think just in this case, it's like always a particular way that I'm not being with every aspect of this particular thing, which is a huge part of my life, which is being a composer. And I don't feel like that anymore. I feel like, okay, yes, I'm a woman. And that means something that's, has a lot to do with who I am. And therefore, of course, it has to do with the kind of music I write because it saying that would I write different music if I was a man, is it's a totally nonsensical thought experiment because I would be a different person, you know? So I'm interested in thinking about are there ways that...
0: And why would you even have your brain go there in the first place? It's a pointless... Well, you do because
1: you think like, okay, I'm not, you know, I'm just like everyone else. But then, you know, I think there are some pieces of mine that are maybe a little bit more about expressing something that, like, I think that flute and voice piece is something that, for me, it felt like I was doing something that felt like I was acknowledging that, in fact, I am a woman, and, you know, that's a part of who I am as a composer, too. And not just like, you know, I've been out with friends, and actually, I was- remember- Do do
0: do people interpret that? if 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 they're walking away with that, or if your idea is to communicate that, do people see it as- you know, like a shtick or something like that, or, Oh, this is her angle because she's only, I mean, like maybe like a lot of the ways, you know, uh, like really, really bad composers from Mm -hmm. China, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, do it to the point where you're like, ugh, that's awful.
1: Um, I mean, I, I hope not. I don't think so. But I mean, I think also like, I remember having a long conversation a few years ago with Eric and Sam about whether or not you can hear if somebody's a woman or a man based on their music and, everyone kind of coming down on different sides of the coin. And I feel like in a way, I think that masculine and feminine could be useful terms that we could apply to music. If we could somehow like deinterleave interleave them from the whole touchy issue of like the actual gender of the composer. So I think it's not inappropriate to talk about music being girly or, you know, macho or something, I guess in my case, I don't know if people think it's a shtick. I mean, um,
0: I'm not, okay. That, or, that, I mean, that I'm not sounds, saying, I'm not yeah, trying yeah, yeah. to, that, that, I, I that, a, that sounded a lot more malicious than I meant no, no, it to I didn't, be. I didn't yeah. take it as yeah. uh, malicious. No, but, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, you I mean, know, I'm just saying it, it there's feels complications. Like it feels yeah. like
1: when I perform that piece, I feel like I'm doing something really subversive, even though it probably doesn't come across that way. Because for me, being so overtly physical in a way that kind of feels female, which basically means like being kind of sexual in a performance is something that I could never, ever allow myself to do because the last thing you want to be is like a sexy female composer because then everyone just assumes that you're like sleeping your way to whatever position you're at. I mean, but I've people to... make
0: that, but people, you think people make those assumptions? I, know they,
1: I don't think they do about me because I don't think I have really personified that, but I've been to lots of festivals, lots of situations where there's some female composer who runs around in a short dress and then my male friends say like, well, you know, and they proceed to like spread some rumor. Um, There's lots of female composers who have positions who have rumors about them. And I'm privy to all of this stuff because I tend to be a very kind of non-threatening, like, you know, people kind of forget that I'm female, I think sometimes, which, and it's fine. It's not like I'm like chalking this all up and reporting back to the sisterhood, but I do feel like it would be, I'm doing something for my safety by like not expressing you know my female side or something so then when you're i can like, do if, it in performance it, do, do, it feels healthy and kind of dangerous like i'm flirting with this thing that i've kind of just been ignoring for a really long
0: but time. you feel like if i go there if you know if, if i go there outside of the performance aspect of it and i'm like one of these you know then you're one of like the girls that you just described yeah, then it would then, be, then you always then you run the risk of no matter what your skill is you run the risk of uh, delegitimizing yourself. Oh, yeah,
1: I would be alienated and just, like, you know, would freak everyone. I mean, yeah, and I'm not tempted to, but I'm happy to have found this kind of new platform that feels like a way of being some other parts of myself that I can't be. Um, And I don't feel like men feel like that. Like, I spend a lot of time with men, and I I mean, and it's fine. Like, I feel like I participate, um, and we share the same sense of humor, and we make the same dirty jokes, but... Sometimes I'll be with, you know, other male composers and there'll be some female, I don't know, oboist or something. And I'll be suddenly aware of like, who should I be talking to right now? Or or, like somebody will bring their girlfriend and I'll feel like, oh, I should probably talk to that poor girl who like has no one to talk to. But like, why should I have to talk to the girlfriend just because I'm a girl, you know? But, um... Like the piece that I wrote for my dissertation called Voices from the Killing Jar, and I'm hoping to do the whole thing with Wetning soon. We've done a few movements, but it's seven movements and they're all various female characters from literature or mythology or history that I picked and often at times I wrote the text in their voices and I'm always singing. And that for me was a real way to access like a whole bunch of different kinds of ways of being a woman and being a woman in a place where you're kind of trapped or you're kind of caught or not free to be expressive or not free to be just constrained in some way so and it's very you know it's like a character from a Murakami novel and it's Madame Bovary and it's a you know woman in the French Revolution and it's Clytemnestra and that piece for me is something where I felt like okay I'm using this in a way maybe that I didn't think about when I started to kind of like open up this channel of like all of these different parts of this you know
0: what's interesting to me is that you had to find that You had to find whatever that template was of what your quote persona was Mm going to be, or how you how you were going to deal with this part of yourself. But I think for guys, I think there's there's already a template there. There's like there's like a template and way to be, you know, whether it's genuine or disingenuous of how someone is filling that template. There is the persona of the male composer yeah, I mean, and, and, and and you can very easily just be like oh i'm gonna act like that and you know you're that guy and then no one's gonna talk shit about you because yeah, you're doing it I mean, unless think, you're coming off right. as fake
1: like you're you you're you just have a kind of comfort that i that i can't really have and i'm not i mean of course you know everybody has to deal with their own thing and turn their own corner about whatever so it's not as if my revelation and my like this took a lot of courage for me to like start addressing this but everyone has to find courage to were you,
0: were you Were you afraid when you first uh, decided to do these performances that, okay, this is the first time I'm kind of going there, and uh, I hope people don't all of a sudden put me in the category of the composer running around in a short skirt with the position who people spread rumors about? Um,
1: yeah, I was terrified, actually. And it wasn't so much for that because it's not as if the pieces I mean, actually, we haven't even done some of the movements that are a little more crazy, but... It was in France when I think I got the idea and I was maybe 27 or something. And I mean, now I'm 29, but like, it just felt like I was taking a huge risk of being embarrassed, not only also singing, which I was just starting to get more comfortable with actually performing in concerts and writing my own text and not only opening up this kind of expressive femaleness, but also other things that actually have occasional female connotations like telling a story or you know using kind of soft harmonies or just all everything about it was really terrifying to me that I was going to be ostracized and made fun of and I think what I realized is like nobody really is thinking as hard about what you're doing as you oh, are oh yeah of you course know? Yeah, yeah so yeah, like yeah. I think I did the first performance and it was actually one of the movements that I just did with uh Alex and Josh Monty the violinist because the three of us were around for some gig and i think i just mum like i mean i'm sure no one could understand the words and and you think uh, you did
0: that on purpose though I you think, think i was I'm gonna, too afraid I was or, or you're yeah. like or like i'm gonna mumble this because maybe remember. maybe then people won't hear maybe, it and then i won't be taking as maybe big as it was a risk
1: self-conscious or subconscious but um yeah it was really really scary and i feel like that was just part of when you become a composer, you just have to take a moment where you realize it's not worth doing it anymore unless you're doing what you want to do. And that's just really hard. I mean, now I feel much more confident in doing whatever I want and not worrying about people's reactions to it. And I think that really just comes with getting older. Um, It's just really hard to have that attitude when you're 22 and you are some girl from Michigan and you're suddenly at Columbia with all these like European guys who are there to study with Tristan Uri, who like can't believe that you don't know more Sharino or something. So I think it's doesn't matter. Yeah. It was just sort of, you know, coming to terms with myself and confidence in myself meant also being able to say, well, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm not accidentally female. I'm not accidentally anything. I'm just, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. And if I'm not doing what I want to do, then there's no point in being in this ridiculous career. Do you,
0: uh, do you think, um, do you think a lot of the older guys are a little bit more old school
1: Oh, I mean, I I really have, I really I think have I, rarely I, I, experienced I, sexism. It's more like, and I don't, and I totally respect and love and admire my male colleagues and friends, but it's just a matter of like walking up to a group of three guys and they all kind of fall silent and look guilty. And it's like, oh, they were talking about something that they don't want like a woman to hear. Or like, you know, I remember being at Tanglewood and, you know, I had a great time and, and I always end up hanging out with guys because I think I just actually at this point just kind of relate to them more but like having a friend of mine at the end of the summer be like you know when, when i first met you i thought you were like a girl and kind of awkward but then you turn out to be cool it's this idea like when you become aware that like I you love- are an other for most people because but i like
0: i first i thought you were going to be a girl which is like automatically like a negative connotation right, just like, yeah you know yeah, okay yeah, we can't yeah.
1: get down with her because she's a girl or you know so it's just like the kind of like House like what is this thing.
0: what is this a football team you're a fucking composer right. you nerd yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah exactly i mean yeah. i know a lot of really like girly men but um yeah. and then again like i've heard lots of sexist remarks but they've never been about me they've just been like addressed to me so i don't know i mean maybe people are talking about me behind my back i mean the kind of conversations that i overhear makes me pretty much 100 certain that if i did say get the chicago job even people that I consider my real friends who I depend upon for support and advice and encouragement will say, well, you know, Kate just got the job because she's a woman. And I know they would say that and I have to somehow... Assimilate that without letting it affect my relationship with those people too much, or without letting it make me insecure about whether or not I was the right person for whatever. Yeah,
0: and I that, got. But, but that really and hurts if they say yeah, that. Does. So yeah, if, yeah. Know, I mean, if you, you know, know me, it, and
1: you're listening to this, and yeah, don't think like, that about me. But. Yeah,
0: that's just not something that like dudes don't have to deal with. Like, oh, he just got that because oh, he's a white male. Not you know? enough men on this conversation. Yeah, yeah White, a white right. guy in their forties. Well, they just funny, needed Chicago, another one. You know, they have
1: actually like a lot of women on the faculty already. So they, I was joking with someone they might be like we really have to get a guy for this one you know
0: (laughs) like just i'm sorry i just wanted to know i just wanted to know No, i mean i hope
1: some of that was interesting or
0: no it was all interesting it's all news to me. like i said i was just talking to i was just talking to my friend and she was just telling me these things you know this was yesterday actually and i'm like wow what a mind fuck yeah like what a weird mental space and like because it just makes you hyper aware of what other people think of you Or what other people are saying about you as far as being legitimate. And that's something that if you are any creative person putting yourself out there, that that's even a little bit of a mindfuck in the first place. I mean, it's just
1: one more thing to feel anxiety over. But there's so many things to feel anxiety over. And of course, I know. Yeah, but I know about those things. Right. I mean, being a composer is living with terrible anxiety, basically. So this is just like an aspect of it that I'm like gotten much more comfortable with over the last few years.
0: Do you think you're there yet?
1: It's the way it is. And you know, maybe it's true, maybe they are, you know, but I don't know. I just think it's more complicated than that. Saying like, well they only took this person instead of that person because she was a woman, it just it doesn't really mean anything. It's like, well, I if they wanted that composer, that's because that she was writing this music and that's who she was and that's what her music was like and it's you know, yes, it's not a coincidence or an accident that she was also a woman, but it's not as simple as saying, like, we just are trying to fulfill the quota so we get more funding for our department next year. And I think it would be nice, like, the more it's women also, are yeah. at the top, the more are going to come up from the bottom. So maybe this will get mitigated somewhat in the next few decades. Yeah, and it's
0: again. also interesting that when you're a composer and you get rejected, which happens more often than not. Right. I always say if you get, like, one out of every six things, mm-hmm. you're doing really well. Oh, yeah, you know? I think I yeah.
1: have six things out right now, and I just got one rejection. So Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm but anybody when someone goes no we didn't want you every everybody's you know reaction is to come up with like a defense mechanism which is yeah. to look at the person who got it and right. say of i'm not that or they got it like that right. because there was some political thing going on right. yeah. and a lot of the times that's true but I mean, probably when it's but you yeah, never yeah, know yeah. what
1: that political thing is i used to think every time i got something i sort of felt this like self-hating suspicion that it was because I was female. So that's something I've gotten over. And I don't, I feel like I only felt that way because I was picking up on those vibes, but it's also just insecurity.
0: So tell me about this uh, piece for the flute. flute and Voice. piece mm-hmm. and voice.
1: Well, it's called Only the Words Themselves Mean What They Say, and it's text by Lydia Davis. And I wrote it, so I i have a background as a actually a singer-songwriter for a while, and then I...
0: And I remember that thing you did in Osterfeld. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, like, at that bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure, at, so at that, that bar. occasionally, yeah.
1: very occasionally goes on, but it's just kind of for fun now. But um, I've always been a singer of some kind, and when I joined Wet Ink, I kind of thought, well, okay, I'll sing sometimes, and I wrote a piece for me and four of the Wet Inkers in, like, 2007 that we performed, and that was the first time I'd performed in a, in a concert, and... I then sung some stuff of Alex's, which was wonderful. And I would sung in, a, I think, a few other pieces by various composers that we met at residencies and that kind of thing. But the reason I started writing this flute and voice duet, Aaron and I had been performing a scene from Fama, um, scene six. Have you seen Fama? Or?
0: Yeah, I've seen Fama. You're, ta- you're talking about that uh, ginormous contrabass, contrabass flute, flute and voice.
1: And, and, and it's basically actress. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I don't really like to sing. Um, I speak German, though. You know, Erin just got a contrabass flute, so um, she and I had done that a few times. And then I thought, well, you know, this is fun, and I like performing in a duo, and, you know, I like performing with Erin. So I thought I would write kind of a companion piece for that, maybe, or just, you know, write something for the same instrumentation. And I thought it was probably time for me to write something that was going to be very challenging and virtuosic for myself. Wet Ink, all the performers are just like, sick like everyone is just so good and so game and I just kind of felt like I I had to catch up a little bit just because I hadn't really I didn't have a ton of experience performing really hardcore new music like I did the Bayat Four aria a few years ago and that was like I mean it took me a long time and I'm really proud of that performance that that, that
0: is a crazy piece to perform it was crazy and
1: and I loved doing it but it was kind of like okay I better bring it like if I'm going to be a part of this awesome group I have to be like among the Jedi Knights. I can't just be like, you know, back there singing uh, like full notes or something. And that's not a
0: piece where you're, you know, I mean, that's a piece where you have to bring it in the first place or it's just going to flop. Yeah, that piece
1: like, and it's like pitches out of nowhere, high Cs. So I wanted to do something that was really, and I I tend to write music that's very difficult to play. Often it's unfortunately not on purpose. It just, I don't know. It just, for some reason, I just am a very notey composer. So I just felt like I should participate in this as a composer and a performer. And I, and also I really wanted to push myself as a singer and see what I can do and, and try to just like pull at all the stops and write something that was like 10 times harder than anything I'd ever, ever asked Vanessa to sing just to see if I could do it. So the text by Lydia Davis, who she's a really wonderful American author. And I had stumbled on her at strand, I think many years ago. And, um, Yeah, the the first movement, I also, I I was starting to study a little bit with Lucy Shelton, the soprano um, at that point, who I'm still sort of studying with, and was working with her just on Mm -hmm. vocal techniques and that kind of thing. And the way I went about composing it, which I think she might have actually suggested, like, maybe you should kind of get it down before you write it down. And I really basically kind of came, developed the piece and kind of learned it in this oral way, I would just go into a Practice room or something, and just improvise with the text. And eventually, by the time I had the whole form in my head, I had also kind of envisioned what the flute was going to be doing. So then it was just really a matter, really, of transcribing, which is not the way I usually work. I usually sketch and sketch and sketch and sketch and just have like tons of papers everywhere. Um, So this was very interesting because it's very freeing.
2: When he says oh, go away and don't come back,
1: you are hurt. By the word, even though you know, he does not mean. means go away! Because he is so angry at you, he does not want you anywhere. Near him right now. Although you are quite sure he does... not <laughs> want you to stay away. He must want you to... Come time, you are away. How he may ream. Remember other less angry feelings he often has for you. That may
2: Anger now.
1: But though he does mean, <laughs> he does not mean it as much as he means the That the words have in them, as he also means them in the words. He means all the anger meant by someone who says such words and means that you should not come back ever. by such a person. For if he meant all of the anger You You would not be as hurt as you are, (laughs) or you would not be hurt at all, even though the degree of anger, if it could be measured, might be exactly the same. not the in the words that hurts you, but the fact that he chooses to say words to you that mean you should never come back, even though he does not mean though. Only... Getting to know your body. If your eyeballs move, this means that you're thinking or about to start thinking. If you don't want to be thinking at this particular moment... The voice is so versatile. Mm. You can make so many hundreds of sounds, you know, there's just really not a lexicon yet for like symbology and like what means this
0: and what means that. Well, I don't even think it's when you're dealing with something like just pure sounds and the color of sounds, it's almost impossible to notate that. Mm-hmm. If you're just right. doing with notes, like on a grid, that's basically for coordinating events. And it's a little to describe like, events. okay, in
1: a clarinet, like put your tongue here on the reed and but I don't know, voice, like I always got frustrated trying to study voice because voice teachers tend to kind of Lapse into this kind of like, well, just spin out the sound and just open the, like, just this kind of metaphorical way of talking about it because you just can't, like, reach inside. Yeah, everybody,
0: your... yeah, and everybody's mouth is a different shape yeah, anyway. Just every, yeah, Like, and
1: it's just hard to, you can't really, like, get at the mechanism. So I think it's just really hard. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff in that piece that you could do, but I can't figure out how to notate it. Like, it's not actually even like singing technique, it's just stuff that we can do with our bodies and voices. But it was interesting to have to try to go through that. Um,
0: Maybe it's just one of those pieces where you take it on the road.
1: Well, I mean, actually, we are taking it on the road a lot in California, but some singers have expressed interest in doing that, and I would love to hear that, and flutists too. But I think it's going to be a very idiosyncratic piece that every performer will kind of have to make her own. And also, it's making me think, like I've been thinking about notation a lot, that maybe at this point in history, the MP3 should be a viable notation assistant or even notation in itself i don't know i'm i have this opera project that i'm trying to work on with two singers who are not new music singers but are very beautiful classically trained singers and i just feel like you know it's so much easier it's and again i think particularly maybe with singers to just sing back something that you hear than looking at some crazy notation
0: either that or they're probably going to go for the standardized opera sound which is Awful. Well,
1: for yeah, everything
0: except. But you if know, they Cuccini. heard
1: something, they could reproduce it. You know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I feel like the fact that I have a video and a and an MP3, everyone who's gonna do the piece will have to look at my recording and decide what else they want to do differently because their voices are gonna be different than mine. You know, I don't have actually a very opera voice, so if an opera singer did it, that would be crazy. I would love to see that, but it would—I'm sure it'd would be very different. And then Erin with me, you know, she's also doing incredibly virtuosic stuff, but, you know, especially in that first movement, we're just very lockstep and it's really fun to sing with her. And we do all this. I mean, um, if you saw the video, you know, we do this kind of ventriloquism thing and there's moments where she's talking along with me in the flute and it's a very like visual performative piece. And those are like integral aspects of the music, I think, and not just um, part of the theater. And then, you know, the second movement is just about, it's just overtone series on the bass flute, but then that's and I think I've gotten better at this since the time when I recorded the video I sent, but um, just me trying to imitate what the bass flute sounds like playing one of the higher partials and that very tissue papery kind of sound and poor Erin, I asked her to circular breathe for the whole movement, you know, so it's, was she
0: doing that? Yeah, She was.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard. We're both really out of breath, but um, it's just nice to kind of feel unlocked up and to really feel like you're using your column of air in your, throat the same way, that you can also access overtones in a way, even though that's not really probably how things like that are produced. Yeah. And then the third movement, little kind of piccolo scherzo thing and kind of experimenting with ideas of gibberish, which I'm kind of interested in, and intelligibility and unintelligibility, aural illusions and visual illusions. I mean, I think it's cool to, like, do something.
0: You know, it also speaks to instrumentation as an idea. That's probably what, like... you could just put a score together and have like this weird poetry between, you yeah. know, pitches, but yeah. the, the idea of instrumentation doesn't come in and you actually did the opposite where you started out with the instrumentation and you couldn't figure out how to do the score, mm-hmm. but you just, right, yeah. you just knew what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Had that, that illusion that you mm-hmm. wanted. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'm kind of interested. I feel like that went well and it was really fun and I'd like to keep writing pieces for voice and one other instrument and maybe do some more things with wet ink. So I'm writing a piece now for, Soprano and violin that Josh Modney and I are going to do in December on the same concert where I'm doing aria and um also in June, I think, and in that case it's like okay, well, what's you know the flute and the voice have obviously a lot of things in common, they have a particular relationship and it's all focused on I think breath and tone and vibrato uh, and register even is you know I mean I can sing the low bass flute C. It sounds like shit, but, you know, and then Aaron can play the high D above the staff on the bass flute. And it also sounds crazy, but, you know, we can have that in common. And then with Josh, what I'm really interested in is tuning, just the fact that it's so easy for the violin and the voice to reach any pitch on the spectrum so that we can do things like, you know, be singing a third and change it so that the fundamental changes because the relationship of the ratio you know goes from being a certain set of consecutive partials to being some other certain set of consecutive partials that, yeah, yeah and you could like josh comes over it sometimes now as i'm working on it and we'll just sit there and like sing and you can, and it's really i mean these phenomena are are absolutely audible and present and and discernible and quantifiable and you can like write music that says you know change until you start to hear this like phantom yeah, yeah, B yeah, or that, this phantom yeah you know, yeah
0: that's the best thing and i think a lot of things that are missing all the time is like oh yeah and it's great because it works mm-hmm, you know yeah, and a yeah. lot of the, uh, you know a lot of the time they're like it's great and then i'm like yeah but it doesn't work mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm, it's right. not like that this you know phenomenon that you're describing oh, yeah right. is you know is lost because yeah. uh you're not thinking about any type of you know sonic reality right yeah but if like again this is maybe giving credit to your methodology if you're starting out with, okay, this is the reality. How do mm-hmm. we work with it?
1: Right. But that's something I have to not lose sight of. Like I was thinking about it and I had all these ideas. And then I realized at some point, you know, this actually isn't going to be, I have to find a way to let the audience in. Like, I, cause I actually, I'm not sure. It's probably the strongest audible phenomenon when you're, it's in your head and you're sitting next to somebody who's playing it with you, but somebody like 20 rows back, it might not be possible for them to have that experience. So I think I have to not get too seduced by this idea of like um, what you can actually physically do and remember that it's also about making a piece that works too. So yeah, I, I think this is going to be kind of a, a tricky one to maneuver and it might need some rewrites after I do it in front of people.
0: Yeah, try and take the reality of a guy sitting there yeah, into sure. account. And
1: even if it's some... I mean, which most might inc- composers... Which might, yeah,
0: which might include like, uh, you know, someone serving drinks and... Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I was <laughs> describing air conditioner, this scenario
1: to yeah. my boyfriend who's not a composer or musician was like, he's not going to know like, Oh, you know, they're now the ninth and 10th partial or something. But I think even if you don't know what's going on with the tuning, just that you can be like, Whoa, that, you know, something about a chord can be suddenly abruptly sonorous or just, you know, alarmingly kind of sour in a way that you're not really sure what's happening, but it's impossible to ignore.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, that's why, I mean, that's why I love having, lay people you know <laughs> i mean it's ridiculous that we're even calling well, them lay people yeah. because like well, or or, or like yeah, you know yeah. in
1: this weird church of yeah
0: like people outside of the church who mm-hmm. goal it is to actually for us to communicate something yeah. to like have them listen to like a grise piece mm-hmm. you know and they're not like oh i hear that the yeah. fundamentals change. Well, like yeah, what the no, fuck I gave was, the that? Grise that was that that was crazy Chant
1: to yeah. my mom and was like this piece is amazing and i think you'll like it and she did and she's not a composer or a musician but it's like okay He's doing stuff in there that I can geek out on, but he's also making a sound that's very difficult to resist, you know? Like, he's making something that is going to draw you in, and he knows how to pace things. Like, I think he actually really knows his drama. But then the music is... I mean, the most important thing is for the music to be good and the piece to be good, Um, and drama is very secondary. But I do feel like in this flute and voice piece, it's really good to feel like I'm connecting with an audience, not just as a composer, but just physically as a performer, because it's a very beseeching piece. And it's a very aggressive piece. Like we did it last week at 92nd street Y Trebecca And, you know, I feel like I want people to kind of be a little taken aback or just, I-, I want to feel like I'm a little bit threatening to people or something. And then they, they were actually like laughing in the last movement, which I kind of expected. I mean, I think it's funny actually the end, which is this kind of mechanical patter thing that kind of stops and starts unpredictably. But when I did the premiere and that performance, you know, there's these long silences and I just remember Tenry and everyone was just deathly quiet and I could just hear my heart just pounding as I was like standing there in the silences waiting to start up again and then this last time when we did it, I could hear people cracking up and then actually I started to crack up a little bit and kind of broke the fourth wall. But it, it is it feels good to have people laugh and mean for them to laugh in new music because that's kind of rare i think that both of those things are true like we went through a lot of time a lot of humorless music maybe and not necessarily all bad but in the last century or so and i think it's it's time to laugh again
0: maybe it's it's always time to laugh yeah maybe yeah it is. well i think maybe we can end it there okay that sounds yeah, like a good yeah yeah optimistic ending yeah it's always time to laugh mm-hmm. well thanks for doing this
1: yeah yeah i hope uh hope something good comes out of that